see, we're going to switch gears here because we are in uh, our series on the book of John, and we're going to be in John chapter 5 today, and we're going to be hearing about a healing that actually happened, a miraculous healing. And I want to start with this story. This guy was at a church service, and he went up to the preacher after the service, and he said, hey, can you pray for my hearing? And so the preacher's like, absolutely, brother, and he grabs him by the ears, and he's praying, and he's calling for the power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God and power from heaven coming down on this man. And he gets done, he goes, are you healed? And the guy's like, well, I don't understand. He goes, you're hearing, how is it? He goes, I don't know, it's Tuesday at the courthouse. <laughs> the jokes aren't going to get any better than that, okay? So <laughs> just laugh now. That's all I got. All right, so... We are going to hear about a real miraculous healing today that happened in John 5. So we're going to be in John 5. If you have your Bible with you, that's where you'll turn to. If you want to use the YouVersion app or your phone, we'll also have the text on the screen as well. But let's read about this in John 5, 1 through 6. So afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people... Blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked, would you like to get well? Well, I don't know what your history is with pools. Um, When I was a kid, we had an in-ground pool. It had a deep end. And my sister, who's nine years older than me, thought, you know, when I was like eight years old, maybe younger, no, it was probably like five or six, she thought it'd be a cool idea to teach me how to swim by just hiking me into the deep end with no life preserver on or anything. And boy, did I learn how to swim pretty quick. Uh, I mean, it was like life or death at that point. She wasn't going to save me. So I learned how to swim at a very young age. Maybe your experience with pools wasn't as traumatic. Maybe you're like the type of pool person, if you get near a pool, you're just going to chill out, drink some iced tea, read a book, listen to a podcast. Maybe you're the type of person, you're, you're cannonballs and backflips off the diving board. I don't know which it depends on what kind of insurance you have, I guess, which one you're going to choose. Uh, but pools have, a, you know, they have a pretty big draw. I mean, we'll book a hotel based on whether or not it has an indoor pool for the kids. Um, people, people want to go to pools to swim and to relax off, but I don't think most people think of a pool as a place to go and get physical or spiritual healing. However, as we look at John 5, we, re- we see that during the time of Jesus, there was a pool that people from all over the countryside were going to for, in somehow, some way to get physically healed. So in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's this pool called Bethesda, which literally means house of outpouring or house of mercy. And so just picture this scene where hundreds of people are probably laying around this pool, people that were blind, disabled, uh, paralyzed, trying to get as close to the water as they can. And they were waiting in the sun for the water to stir up, to start to bubble, so that they could experience some type of healing from this pool. Uh, at this time, this was, this was as close to as a, a hospital as you could get. Well, some accounts say or, uh, the bubbling of the water was probably caused by sporadic springs that were in the water that would cause the water to stir, that would cause that disturbance. And, the, and it's, uh, there's, there's accounts that say that the water was very rich and saturated with minerals. Minerals. Minerals? It's my first day. Minerals. And uh, that, would, that would add to the healing properties of this water. So... So at the precise moment that you saw the bubbling of the water, if you were the first person into the water, you could be miraculously healed. That's what people believed. So this is where Jesus shows up. 
Now, what's interesting is that Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, he doesn't take a big dramatic approach. He doesn't, you know, stand up and announce, hey, we're shutting down the pool today. I'm going to be healing everybody. No, he, he, he goes directly towards one man. And this man was probably old. He had been there for a long time. It said he had been paralyzed for 38 years because Jesus had special knowledge of this man. He knew everything about this man and about his situation, about his past, all of it. He had complete knowledge of him. And likewise, Jesus has complete knowledge of us. He knows everything about you and your situation. He knows you inside and out, everything you have ever felt, everything you have ever thought, everything you've ever done or said. And that's terrifying, isn't it? I mean, imagine if all of your thoughts and your past and everything were constantly broadcast on a device that you had to carry around. You wouldn't leave the house, right? That would be awful to know, like, man, everybody can know everything about what I think, what I say, what I've done. That would be terrible, right? And yet that's the case when it comes to how Jesus knows us. Psalm 139, verses 2 and 4 says this. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So then nothing is a surprise to God. He knows every part of you, and he still loves you completely and wholeheartedly. That's crazy, right? Because we know that there are people who love us, and maybe you think that they love you because they don't really know you. And if they really knew you, the fear is that they would turn you away or reject you. But yet Jesus knows you greater than anyone knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself, and yet he loves you completely. And not only does he have knowledge of you, but he has compassion for you. And this word compassion comes from the Greek word splanknizomai, and this is more than just a mild affection. This is like a gut-level, strong-stirring emotion for you. This this compassion is, is something that you feel deep in your soul. And Jesus, in this type of compassion, moves toward us in our brokenness, not away from us as we often think. You know, maybe you've messed up and you're like, oh man, Jesus is just done with me. But Jesus, he's not disgusted with us. He's not giving up. He's not repulsed by our brokenness. This man at the pool was helpless. And Jesus saw his utter helplessness and was moved with compassion for this man. Jesus knew that this man was going to be there, so he went there and he chose him specifically. There was intention behind Jesus' actions, and there still is. There are things that are happening in your life right now that Jesus is intentionally doing, trying to reach you. Why? Because Jesus always moves toward need, not comfort. He always moves toward the broken, not the self-righteous. You know, if, if you don't realize you're broken, you don't really realize you need to be fixed or healed. I mean, there's probably, I mean, there's times in my life I've said it where, hey, if the sun is shining and, you know, the bills are paid, like, I kind of got this, right? It's not until we realize our brokenness that we realize that we need Jesus. So, Jesus goes up to this man, and he asks him what appears to be the dumbest question in the history of questions. He says, would you like to get well? Come on, Jesus. The guy's been paralyzed for 38 years. Obviously, you know, what do you think? Obviously, he wants to get well. But what's interesting is the man doesn't say yes. He says this, I can't, sir. 
The sick man said, for I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Instead of saying yes, the man starts offering up reasons why he can't be healed. This is interesting because a lot of times reasons are just excuses that you have convinced yourself are true about you. Reasons are walls that we build around us so that we can continue existing in our current state. And we don't have to face the fear and difficulty of being better, of being healed. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are just some examples that I thought of as I was working through this message. But, you know, here's some excuse, not excuses, I'm sorry, here's some reasons that we have why we may not do something that may be good for us, that may be a little bit challenging, maybe take us out of our comfort zone, maybe something God you might feel like is stirring in your heart. You know, here's, here's some. Uh, I can't join a small group because of my work schedule. You know, it's crazy. I work a lot of nights. I don't have a lot of time off. Oh, I'd love to do that, but I'm an introvert, so, like, that's not really my thing. You know, I use that all the time. I know you don't believe I'm an introvert, but I really am. You know, I'll just say that, you know, I, like, I, don't, I don't like to go up to people I don't know. I don't like to share my faith a lot because I'm an introvert. Oh, maybe you've heard, maybe you said this, I'm not really cut out for college. Maybe somebody has said that to you. Or, oh, you know what, short-term missions, that sounds awesome. That's not really my thing. You know, I'm, I don't fly. I'm, I'm not really, yeah, that's not, that's not for me. Or I'm not a morning person. Hey, that's just how I was raised. Here's what, I'm not much of a reader. I don't need to change. You need to accept me for who I am. You're just too sensitive Oh, you probably heard this one before. That's not my job. Maybe you've said that before. Or here's one. She's out of my league. Maybe. Maybe. Worth a shot, though. I just tell it like it is. You're not rude. You're not mean. You just tell it like it is. This relationship won't change unless he does or she does. Oh, you know, I would love to serve, but that's really my only day to sleep in. Oh, I would say yes to serving in chapel kids this summer, but I'm not really a kid person. You know, summer's so crazy for our family. That's really our only day when we get to go out on the lake. That's my only day I sleep in, but we just watch the services online in the summer. That was a plug for chapel kids, so make sure you say yes after the service, okay? Now, these are all great reasons, all right? And we've convinced ourselves that they are true. And again, I'm not judging anybody because I've got a lot of great reasons why I don't do some things in my life that I should probably do. These aren't excuses, right? Excuses are for wimps. These are reasons. The problem is, is that God and most of the people around you can see right through them. Because our reasons are often just excuses that we use to keep ourselves safe or comfortable or in particular predictable situations. Not good, but safe. But following Jesus has never, never been safe. Jesus doesn't call us to safety. He calls us to purpose. He calls us to life. He calls us to love him and love others, oftentimes at the expense of ourselves. And when we keep giving reasons why we can't do something, we are insulting the power of God. I mean, the same, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can absolutely empower you empower you to go out on a short-term mission or to be a morning person or to start reading God's word. You know, I think what Jesus is really asking him when he says, hey, do you want to be healed? I think what he's saying is, hey, are you ready to stop making excuses and take ownership over your life? Are you willing to start caring for yourself and stop blaming others? 
Are you willing to work to get a job and maybe not rely on handouts anymore? Are you willing to stop playing the victim and do something to change your situation? Are you willing to do the hard work of being better or would you rather just stay on the mat where it's comfortable? I like this quote from J.D. Greer. He says, here's what Jesus was getting at. While many people want to experience the benefits of healing, they don't want to go through the painful choices that must accompany healing. We usually want God to clean up the mess of our lives without dealing with the choices and patterns that got us into that mess. It makes me think of Augustine, who in his confessions described himself as praying, God, make me pure, just not yet. And yet, the incredible thing was that Jesus, in his compassion, sees through this man's reasons, and he says to the man, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And then it happens, this man who had been disabled, who had been paralyzed for 38 years, gets up and walks. And Jesus tells him to take his mat with him. And I've wondered why he does that. And I think it's a way of saying, hey, that's it. It's a new life now. You can't come back here. You can't leave that as a backup plan in case this thing is difficult or you don't like it. You can't come back to your excuses. There's so many times that that Jesus healed someone because of their faith in him. But this was an example of Jesus healing this man, not because of his faith, but because of Jesus' compassion for the man. This was an incredible display of the power of Jesus. Despite that man's unworthiness, despite his excuses, Jesus spoke it and it happened. He, just as he spoke the world into creation, just as he spoke Lazarus out of the grave, he displays God's power and he hasn't stopped yet. You know, I think we hear, you know, we read about these miracles about a man who is paralyzed for 38 years and then walking again. We're like, oh, that's cool. Like, no, that is crazy. Like, if you went to the hospital and they had somebody who was there who had been paralyzed for 40 years and somebody comes in and says, hey, get out of the bed and walk, and they do it, like, that would shut everything down, right? This would be the craziest thing that happened that year to you. And yet we read these things and we don't realize, like, this actually happened. Jesus was displaying that he was God. He displays the power of God and he hasn't stopped doing it yet because he's still doing these things today. Because not only does Jesus have knowledge of you and compassion for you, but he also has power in you. Because you might feel like the man on the mat today. Whatever that might be. It might be, you know, you might be paralyzed relationally, financially, physically, whatever it might be. And you're wondering, why am I going through this? Jesus says later in John 16, he says, I write these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Some versions say sorrow, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, if you've been alive for more than a week, you realize that in this world you will have trouble, you will have sorrow. And Jesus says, but take heart. And that's not just a cheer up. No, he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. Which means that it doesn't matter what hap- what's happening in your life right now. Jesus is greater than that. And he cares. He cares. And sometimes he cares enough to shake things up in a way that we may not expect in order to reach us. Because like I said, 
when things are going really well, I don't feel like I need Jesus. So I feel there are times when, Jesus, when God allows things to happen in my life to realize how dependent I am on him. And the reason, here's how I can say that. Is because notice at the end of verse 9, we'll see here that John says something kind of abrupt. Because we had all been thinking about how awesome this thing is. How incredibly happy, you know, this healed man must be. But then John had to throw this in. But the miracle happened on the Sabbath which was the holy day, meaning you can't work at all. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. I mean, this is how strict the rules were. Like you couldn't even carry your mat around. That was technically work. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Now he says that day was the Sabbath, and the shift is gonna go from this big debate over the holiness of the Sabbath. After Jesus heals the man, the Jewish leaders catch wind of it, and they want to kill him for working on the Sabbath and then claiming that he had power over the Sabbath because he was God. It seems like they cared more about rules than they cared about people. But, but Jesus doesn't fit into their little defined box of who God is, of what the Messiah of who the Messiah was, how, how he should act, what he should or shouldn't do. So Jesus breaks their Sabbath rules and claims that he has authority over the Sabbath because he is God. And not only that, but he gives physical proof that he's God. Now, maybe you're like those Jewish leaders, because I know that I have been. You know what Jesus should do in your life. You know how he should act. You know how he should function. And you know at least what you want him to do or what you would do if you were him. And yet you're still on the mat. And you're wondering, where's my healing? I, I, want, I want to be better. Why won't Jesus do what I want? Well, because there's, I, there's something bigger here at stake that I think we need to pay attention to. Because Jesus enters back into the picture in verse 14 with the man, and he says this, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Even worse than 38 years of paralysis. Jesus was trying to help the man understand that the eternal consequences of sin are far, far more serious than paralysis, than any physical ailment. The man thought his greatest need was that if he could just walk, but it wasn't. He thought, man, if I could just walk, everything would be okay. Life would be great. I'd never have another thing. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, if God would just do this, everything would be okay. I'd never ask for another thing again. And I'm here to tell you that we're wrong. This man needed to have an even greater miracle. He needed to have his relationship with God healed. He needed to have his sins forgiven. Because after all, God's forgiveness is the greatest gift that you will ever receive. Because the worst thing that we can face is not what we experience here in this life, but forever separation from God. What Jesus talked about is hell. You see, if Jesus only fixed your life, whatever that might be, but he didn't fix the problem of our sin and separation from God, then it doesn't really matter. Because in the scope of eternity, your life is that long. And yet we put so much stock into that that we forget that sometimes God will allow us to be on the mat in order to make us aware of our need for him, not for healing. 
Jesus is offering something greater than fixing whatever is happening right now. He's offering the gift of forgiveness. And when we accept God's gift, then we are made right in God's sight and we are set free from sin. What I want you to know more than anything through this story with the paralyzed man is that it's so much more than a healing or that it happened on the Sabbath. Rather, it's a demonstration of the equality of Jesus with God and the authority of Jesus as God. Now, that because Jesus is God, he can also choose to heal who he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. And I know that that's so difficult to understand and so difficult to face, but the good news is that Jesus is far more concerned with our spiritual healing, and he wants all of us to experience that. He wants all of us to turn away from our old lives and to, and to turn to him. And he will use healing as a sign of his grace that he loves you. He will. Like, I have experienced the incredible miracles of God in my life, and it reveals to him how good he is. He will also allow us to go through struggles to make us aware that there is something greater at stake. So now what? What does this look like for you? How does this apply to your life? If you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a believer, you're just visiting, your parents made you come, whatever it might be, first of all, we are so glad that you're here. This is, this is a home for you. We want this to be a place where you can find Jesus, where you can wrestle through your doubts and questions. But I would say that, that it looks like this for you if you're not a follower of Jesus. It looks like standing up, taking up your mat and walking. Saying, in other words, I'm done with my old ways of living and I'm ready for something new. And maybe you've got a lot of really great reasons why you don't follow Jesus. It's time to see them for the excuses and the fake walls that they actually are, something you're using to keep yourself safe, to keep yourself from following Jesus. You have to say, am I ready to stop making excuses? Whether you've been living that way for 38 years or 88 years, to be willing to say, I surrender it all to you, Jesus, and I ask you to heal me and make me into the person that you want me to be. If you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time as a Christian, Maybe there are some things in your, life, in your life that you know they don't line up with God's word. They know that they don't line up with what God has said is best and you're settling for something else and you've got some patterns or some things in your life. I tell you to stand up, take your mat and walk. Stop lying by the pool of whatever it is that's pulling you away from Jesus. Get up and follow him again. Maybe for the 10th time or the 100th time. And if you're here and you're still on the mat, you know, and you want to be healed, but it just doesn't seem like God is doing what, he's, what he should be doing. And again, that mat could look like a million things. I want you to know that I'm sorry, and I don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but I know that God will work good even through that pain. I know that he's also with you in it. And sometimes he operates in ways that we can't wrap our head around. But just like the Jewish leaders, we might be surprised at what Jesus will do how he will do it, and when, we, when he will do it. But we have to remember that he is God and we are not. But he is still at work today. He's still healing bodies, healing lives, and more than anything, healing relationships. And most important is our relationship with God. Through his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus offers reconciliation, a healing of our relationship with God. He offers forgiveness for everything, a new heart, reconciliation with God, and, and, and life forever. 
And he also offers hope. Hope that regardless of how long you've been on the mat, that there is something greater. That there is something greater. Many of you know who Tim Keller is. Tim Keller has had a massive impact in my life. He's a famous pastor and, well, famous. He's an important pastor and author. He was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He's authored dozens of books. His sermons are incredible. And, I mean, he's had a huge impact in my life. And he, he died on Thursday after a two-year battle with pancreatic cancer. And I'll tell you what, if anybody over the past two years became acutely aware of his suffering of being on the mat, it was Tim Keller. And he answered a lot of great questions, and I think he had the authority to do so. And so when, when somebody would say, hey, how, because maybe you feel this way, how loving could God possibly be if he puts us all through so much pain and misery as part of a plan? Tim Keller said, if just, if, talking about suffering, he said, if God just said, no, that's just for, for you but not me, talking about suffering, then that would be hypocritical. Keller says, but since Jesus Christ experienced suffering in degrees way beyond anything we're all called to go through, whenever somebody says it's really wrong of God to call me to something like that, that's a person who just has almost no empathy for Jesus. You have to understand that Jesus is not unfamiliar with your pain, that he's experienced it, and that he's in it with you, and he understands, and he has compassion for you. As he got closer to his death... Reflecting on Jesus' death on the cross, Tim Keller said this. In the last season of Keller's life, he says that empathy for Jesus has become a recent theme in his own prayer life. To really weep with Jesus when he's weeping and rejoice when he's rejoicing, he says, I need to say, Lord, I just can't believe you did that for me. Again, Jesus has complete knowledge of you. Everything you've ever said, thought, or, or, or have done, and everything you will say, think, or do. And yet, in his great compassion... He looked at you with love and gave his life for you anyway. And talking about, well, Tim Keller was on his mat of terminal cancer. He found hope in the reality of the resurrection. He says this, This is all what it means to find power in the idea of resurrection. There's more going on here than life after death. There is meaning in suffering, and there is light up ahead. There is light up ahead. So as you walk away today, I want you to remember this, to hold on to that hope, to hold on to that hope because our great healer is here and he is working even when it may not seem like it. Let me pray for us. God, this morning I pray that you would help us to put away the reasons that we have to get up off the mat. And God, I pray that even for those who still feel like they're on the mat, God, that you would help them to trust in you, that you would make them aware that you are doing something that they may not understand. God, I pray, I pray that we would place our hope in you and not our hope in healing. God, help us to walk with you and to not return to the places where we've come, but to live a new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.